0: We'll be going through Leviticus chapter 4 and 5, and we'll read verse 1 and 2. It says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a person sins unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord in anything which ought not to be done, and does any of them, if the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, then let him offer to the Lord for his sin, which he has sinned a young bull without blemish, as a sin offering. So we've seen the first three offerings. And if we remember, we broke it up into two groups. There was the free will offerings. So that's if anyone, right, all of these offerings, it's for anyone. If anyone wanted to bring a free will offering to the Lord, the first three, it was the burnt offering, the grain offering, and the peace offering. That was free will. Anyone can come and say, Lord, I want to do this for you. Lord, I want to give this to you. Now, the last two offerings that we'll be looking at this evening, it's the trespass offering and the sin offering. And these you had to make. If you sinned, right, we're going to look into some of these meanings and definitions in a moment. If you sinned, you had to make one of these offerings. And now here in Leviticus, right, this manual given to the Levites, it told them exactly what had To happen in verse two, this sin offering starts off with, "If a person sins unintentionally," again, this was for the person who sinned without knowing so. Right? That's the only way we sin here at Calvary Miami. Right? It only happens unintentionally. Oh, I'm sorry, honey. I did that uh, by mistake. Right? It's always because we were in a hurry and we did it unknowingly, inadvertently, unintentionally. This is what this offering was for. That word sin, again, in case you don't know it, it's known as missing the mark. It's a term that's used in marksmanship when it comes to hitting the bullseye, whether it's a bullet or an arrow, maybe it's a dart, maybe you're playing cornhole right, and if you miss that mark, if you miss the target, you've sinned. That's where that definition comes from. But the question for each and every one of us here, do you always miss on purpose Or do you just tell people that, right? Sometimes we'd say that in in our boastfulness, right? We just shoot and, oh, yeah, I did that on purpose. I wanted you to feel better about yourself, right? We don't always do it on purpose. Oftentimes we sin and it's a mistake because we are in a sinful world. And each and every one of us has a sinful nature. I don't know if there's any Major League Baseball fans here. Any Major League Baseball fans? A handful, right? Does anyone know the pitcher that has the record for the most no-hitters? It's Nolan Ryan. I did a lot of research beforehand. This is Nolan Ryan, right? I didn't know this before. He has the record of the most no-hitters in his career, in any career, and it's seven. He had seven no-hitters in his entire career. He started, this has just started, over 773 games. And he has the record for the most no-hitters at seven. That means if you were alive and around and attending baseball, when Nolan Ryan was pitching, there was a 0.90% chance of him pitching a no-hitter when you would attend the game. Did he do this on purpose? No. Just sinful nature. Any NFL fans here? A few more, right? There's three men that are tied with the record of most consecutive completions. That's how many times they throw the ball and it actually gets caught by their teammate instead of the other team, or it drops or it falls. There's three men that have this record. It's Nick Foles, Philip Rivers, and Miami's own, or used to be on Ryan Tannehill, right? These three men, they have the record of most consecutive passes thrown, of com- completions thrown. Do you know what that record is? 25. That's the record. Some of them, it was seven in one game, and then 18 in the next. But again, 25 passes thrown, in a consecutive, and that's the record for most passes completed in consecutive order. Nick Foles, he had over 2,000 attempts in his career. Ryan Tannell, he's at 3,700 pass attempts in his career. Philip Rivers is at 8,134 pass attempts. And at their very best, they could only do 25 in a row. Why were these guys doing it on purpose? No, we live in a sinful world, and sometimes we make mistakes. Right? I wish it would only be when we make mistakes. But lots of times we sin knowing and unknowingly. So the first chapter, chapter 4, it's unknowingly. And why do we sin unknowingly? Because each and every one of us has a sinful nature. Everyone has sinned. We could turn to Romans chapter 3. We'll read a scripture in Romans 3. And in Romans 5, I'll give you a couple scriptures after that. But in Romans 3, chapter 23... A very famous scripture. It tells us, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God sent forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness Because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness. That he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Again, everyone has sinned. Everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. And now God, because of his love, because of his righteousness. He sends Jesus on our behalf to be the go-between, to be the one to absorb all of our judgment and our sins at the cross so that now we could live in that righteousness, so that he could look at us as holy and pure and righteous. Again, this is what God has done for us. A couple pages to your right in Romans chapter 5 verse 12, it gives us here again the full picture. Romans chapter 5 verse 12, therefore just as through one man Sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. Again, sin, it entered in the garden. By Adam and Eve eating of that fruit, it's held on Adam, because Adam did it willfully. Adam did it knowingly, because again, the men here were the ones that are going to be held accountable for what happens in our homes. Adam is the one that is looked at as bringing sin into the world. And the moment Adam brought sin into the world, each and every one of us, we are sinners. That is our nature. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, it says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. In Jeremiah 17, verse 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That was Jeremiah 17, verse 9. Finally, Psalm 51, verse 5, David writes, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Again, each and every one of us, we have a fallen nature. Every single one of our kids, they have a fallen nature. I've never seen a parent trying to teach their kids first word, okay? Now I want you to say, mine, okay? I want you to say mine, but get angry and like rip that thing out of my hand, right? And then say mine. That's what I want you to do. No, no parent teaches them that. But yet it's within their nature. The only person they care about, it's themselves. It's not the mom that hasn't slept at all. No, they start crying. They don't care. It's about their needs, that sinful nature. That's why we need to hold on to the Lord. We need to adopt and bring that new man which can only come from Jesus Christ. We need to put off the old person we used to be, and we need to put on the new man that can only come in and through a relationship with Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, it tells us that you put off concerning your former conduct The old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. That was Ephesians 4.22. If you're still there in Romans, you can go to Romans chapter 6. And in Romans 6, verse 6, it says, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin, Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Again, family, our old man, our old person needs to be put to death. Needs to be put to death with Christ. That's why that whole excuse that I was born this way, it doesn't matter. Because at the end of the day, each and every one of us, that old person, however they were born, whatever sins they liked and they enjoyed, it must be put to death. That the new man, this new creation, this new person can now be alive. And that new person, it's all found in Jesus Christ. We need to put on Jesus Christ. We need to put on his righteousness. We need to put on his character. We need to be filled with his spirit so that we can live the life he's called us to live. We could go back there in the Old Testament and we'll look at one more scripture. Or maybe two more before we get back into Leviticus. And in Numbers chapter 15, here it gives us a warning. Because we hear this, right? We read this as, this is the sacrifice for those who sin unintentionally. But it's not just for the person that sins unintentionally. It's for the person that sins unintentionally and cares about what God has to say. You see, there are many people, ourselves included, that there once was a time when we would sin intentionally and unintentionally, but we could care less. We could care less about God. We could care less about our parents. We could care less about what the people around us say. And we'll see here in the Old Testament what Scripture had to say for these types of people. Those types of people, man, I used to be one of those, right? Numbers chapter 15, verse 30 and 31. It tells us, but the person who does anything presumptuously... Whether he's a native born or a stranger, that one brings reproach on the Lord and he shall be cut off from among his people. Because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment. That person shall be completely cut off. His guilt shall be upon him. Again, the person that sins and they may have even done it on accident. But now if they're bold in their sin... If they are defiant in their sin, there's no sacrifice there. The only way a sacrifice can be made is if we humble ourselves and we say, Yes, Lord, what you say is right. God, what your word says is right. Again, family, the person who sins and could care less about what God has to say, in a sense, has no way to be forgiven of their sins. They have no way to enjoy heaven for all of eternity. And they have no way to get out of hell for all of eternity because it starts out with humility. It starts off with confessing our sins, saying, yes, Lord, I am a sinner. Yes, Lord, what your word says is true. In 1 John 1, verse 9 through 10, we've read the scripture so often uh, throughout the season at church. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John He repeats the same theme. He says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. That word confess here in the Greek is to say the same thing as another. You see, when we confess our sins before the Lord, we're saying, Lord, what you have to say about my sins, Lord, I agree with it. We are conceding to God and his word. We are not refusing and we are not denying what God has to say about our actions. And that's where it all starts. It all starts with saying, God, I'm not going to deny what you have to say. God, I'm going to stop refusing to hear what the Bible has to say. And Lord, from here on out, I agree and I concede with what you say. Lord, what you say is true. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of eternal life, it's through Jesus Christ our Lord. God, I'm I'm refusing myself, and God, I'm accepting what you have to say, that Jesus is the only one who could take away my sins, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. That's what it means to confess our sins. That's where salvation, it starts off. It's us saying, God, I'm humbling myself under you and your word, and God, I agree with it. I agree with what you have to say. We go back to Leviticus chapter 4 now. Now we'll just go through it. We'll read verse 2 and we'll keep going. Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a person sins unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord, and anything which ought not to be done, and does any of them, it starts off with the priests. If the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, then let him offer to the Lord for his sin, which he has sinned, a young bull without blemish as a sin offering. He shall bring the bull to the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, and he shall lay his hand on the bull's head. Right, we talked about that, that he was laying his weight upon the bull, in a sense transferring his sins. Right, that picture that now this innocent animal, this perfect and innocent animal would have to die taking his place. Then he would kill the bull before the Lord. And then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood and bring it to the tabernacle of meeting. The priest would dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle some of the blood seven times before the Lord. In the front of the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of sweet incense before the Lord. Which is in the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall pour the remaining blood of the bull at the base of the altar of burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And then he shall take from it all the fat of the bull as the sin offering. The fat that covers the entrails, the fat which is on the entrails, the two kidneys, and the fat that's on them by the flanks. And the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove as it was taken from the bull of the sacrifice of peace offering. And the priest shall burn them on the altar of burnt offering. But here's the difference between this offering and the burnt sacrifice. Now they would take the bull's hide, all of its flesh with its head, its legs, its entrails, and offal. The whole bull he shall carry outside the camp to a clean place where the ashes are poured out and burn it on a wood with fire. Where the ashes are poured out, it shall be burned. Again, look at this process for the priest. And it all starts off with, if the priest sins unintentionally. Again, the holiness within our nation, within our world, it starts with us at the church. It starts with me. Again, we sometimes forget that the pastors, they're sinners just like everybody else. And we need the same way to come to God and say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. And there's a great warning to us. In James chapter 3 verse 1, James instructs, he says, he says My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. And because of this, this is why the priests would have to offer the most expensive of the sacrifices. And you guys were here the last couple Wednesday nights, right? The bull, the oxen, that was the most expensive of all the animals that they could offer to the Lord. And if a priest sinned, even unintentionally, he had to offer the most expensive sacrifice. Again, as we grow and as we mature, as we become teachers, some of us, we have to be reminded that our lives are in a fishbowl. Our lives are in a magnifying glass. And now the sins I commit, they're going to grow and mature in each and every one of you. For the fathers here, the sins you commit, they're going to grow and mature and multiply in our kids. And that's why as a pastor, man, please, I beg of you, be praying for me. Satan, he has a a bullseye on the back of my head, right? And he's trying to take me down. He's trying to take each and every one of us down. I don't want that. I don't want to live in that. I want to finish strong, but continue to pray for each and every one of the pastors. We see in verse 8 that all of the fat of the bull, that was the sin offering. Again, the continued theme that God deserves the very, very best. Now, where this would differ is instead of burning the entire animal there upon the altar, the priest would now have to go from the tabernacle... Again, imagine watching this guy walking by in the street, right? He'd have to get the head of the bull. He'd have to get the skin of the bull, all of its entrails, right? All of the guts of the bull. And now he'd have to walk it outside of the camp. And there outside of the camp, he would burn the rest of that animal. Again, this is talking about sin. The wages of sin is death. And sin always brings guilt, Always brings guilt, whether on purpose or by accident. You're guilty. We're going to see that in the next chapter. It's like, if you do this, guilty. If you do this, guilty. If you do this, guilty, right? We have to be careful. Whether we do it on purpose or not, there's still a price that has to be paid. So now that guilt would be taken outside the camp and be burnt up outside of the camp. It's also a picture for us of Jesus Christ, how he was crucified outside of the camp. He was crucified outside the walls of Jerusalem. And that's where his blood was shed for our sins, for our guilt, for our shame. So it all starts off with the priest, with the pastors. And there's no doubt some of the downfall of our nation, it's because so many of the priests, so many of the pastors, they're jokes. Every week, every month, we hear another spiritual giant, right, falling Another pastor, another leader falling. We have to pray, pray for our nation and be praying for all the people that have been hurt and broken, let down by a pastor or a leader, someone that they trusted, someone that they loved. Now it goes to the next group of people in verse 13. Now if the whole congregation of Israel sins unintentionally and the thing is hidden from the eyes of the assembly and they have done something against any of the commandments of the Lord in anything which should not be done and are guilty when the sin which they have committed becomes known, then the assembly shall offer a young bull for the sin and bring it before the tabernacle of meeting. And then the elders of the congregation shall lay their hands on the head of the bull before the Lord. And then the bull shall be killed before the Lord. So in a sense here, if the nation of Israel, of any nation, Right? We can sin unintentionally as an entire nation. We have to pray for our country when it comes to abortion, when it comes to other sins. Sometimes it's intentionally. Sometimes there's young people doing it unintentionally. They don't even know what they're doing. But we have to pray for the sins of our nation. And where does this start? It starts with us. If we're not coming to the Lord with our sins or with the sins of our nation... It's not going to be the unbelievers that are going to be the first ones to say, you know what, I should come to God because I've sinned against him unintentionally, right? We sung it today, 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14 and 15. It all starts off with, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. Again, it starts off with the Lord's people. Not with the unbelievers. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17. Peter says, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Again, family, it has to start with us. If we're not being convicted more and more about our sins, if we're not being convicted by perceived smaller and smaller sins, something's wrong, something's off. And if you notice, it's the elders of the congregation who come up and they're the ones that are leaning upon that bull. The elders, who are the elders within the home? Again, the moms, the dads here. Are you the one that is holding the spiritual line within your family? Because for this congregation... For the city at large, it was on the elders of Israel. They go through the same process. They have to kill the animal. They dip the finger. They sprinkle it on the veil. They take the fat. They dissect the bull in the same way. Then verse 21, once again, they have to carry the bull outside the camp and burn it. As he burned the first bull, it is a sin offering for the assembly. Then in verse 22, it says, when a ruler has sinned and done something unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord, his God, and anything which should not be done and is guilty, or if he sin, which he has committed, comes to his knowledge, he shall bring his offering, a kid of the goats, a male without blemish. See, here we see a difference. Now, if a leader sins, he's allowed to bring a male goat without blemish. But here's a reminder to us that the private life of our leader's matters the private life of the politicians we vote for it matters and now some of the people that our nation's most proud of in electing it's what it's homosexuals it's bisexuals it's someone that was born a boy and is now a girl and that's some of the most proudful people that our political parties are pushing to the front of each political party again that we would pray for our leaders we shall pray for our nation At the end of verse 26, we see a statement that's repeated three times throughout this chapter. And this should bring us hope. This shall bring us good news. At the end of verse 26, it says, So the priest shall make atonement for him concerning his sin, and it shall be forgiven him. Again, this is good news for us. That God has made a way for each and every one of us, whether we sin intentionally or unintentionally, God has made a way for us to be forgiven of our sins. We'll look at that in a little bit. The next group of people, it's found in verse 27. If any one of the common people sins unintentionally by doing something against any of the commandments of the Lord in anything which ought not to be done and is guilty, or if his sin which he has committed comes to his knowledge, then he shall bring as his offering a kid of the goat's Now, he's allowed to bring a female without blemish for the sin which he has committed. And then at the end of verse 31, what's those last few words there? Shall be forgiven him. Again, God is making a way for each person, no matter what level they're at, no matter where they are at in the hierarchy of the nation, that their sins would be forgiven. And who's the one making this plan? It's not the people of Israel, it's the Lord. How the Lord desires to forgive us of our sins, but we have to humble ourselves, say, God, you're right. Lord, what you say about sin is right. Lord, would you forgive me? Verse 32 shows us that for the common person, they could offer a female goat or also a lamb. There in verse 32, verse 32 through 35, again, the same process separating the fat goes to God. They would have to take that skin and they have to take it outside and it shall be forgiven to him. As we close up this chapter, right, what's the three things that would have to happen? Number one, sacrifice. Blood had to be shed. Blood had to be shed, whether it was a bull, a goat, or a lamb. Sinned, and it wasn't on purpose. You found out about it later on. You don't just say, whoopsie-daisy, who cares? No, you had to go and offer that sacrifice, What did offering that sacrifice look like? We've talked about it. You would lay your hands upon the head of that sacrifice. You would be admitting your guilt. Yes, I did this by accident. I did this unintentionally. But according to God's commands, this was wrong. According to what God's word says, I have sinned. And whenever sin happens, man, death comes on. So now you're admitting your guilt. You're putting your... Pressure your weight on that animal, that transference, that this spotless and innocent animal is dying, taking my place. Then at the end, they would separate it and they would take, what's the last thing? They would take the hide, the head, and the insides outside, symbolizing the removal of guilt from the sinner. Have you experienced this? Not exactly this, but have you ever experienced having your sins, right? That guilt being removed from you. Have you ever broken someone's heart and you told them, man, I'm sorry, I didn't realize what I did. I didn't do that on purpose. And they just say, it's okay, man, I I forgive you. Have you ever sensed that? Psalm 32, verse 1 and 2, we could turn there. And man, I encourage you, if you've never felt the removal of your guilt, man, cry out to the Lord. I, I pray tonight you would be able to sense that and know that. God desires to forgive you of your sins. God desires to remove that guilt from you. Psalm 32, verse 1, it says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old. Through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you. And my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Again this is here David. He got away with his sin for over a year. He covered it up. It looked perfect. It was a job well done, but it says right, the bones inside of him, they were dying. They were decaying. He was growing all day long, all night long, but the moment he confessed his transgressions, the Lord forgave him. Again, maybe you're here and you have unconfessed sin, whether it was done intentionally or by accident. Gotta confess those sins to the Lord. Gotta get right with God. God, I see what your word says. Even if I did it by accident, Lord, I need to cry out to you god i need to submit to you and your way accepting the plan you've laid out and when we do things the way god says it shall be forgiven you you'll be able to have that sense of your guilt being taken away from you we go to chapter five now one interesting note I think it was J. Vernon McGee, right? Each of these chapters are like 16 verses, 17 verses, 15 verses. But when it comes to our sin offering, it's 35 verses, right? It's so way larger. It gets a lot more complicated. But now here in chapter 5, it's another shorty. It's only 19 verses. Here, right, we say, okay, what happens if the person does it by accident? Some of us say, I don't need chapter 5. I only sin on accident, right? It's never on purpose. But for those of you like me that need chapter 5, this is what it's all about. The trespass offering, right? I don't know if that's what it says in your Bible. I don't know if you have a a sign in your home or on your business, no trespassing. And when you trespass, it's to enter someone else's property without their permission. You're stepping on land, which is forbidden. And that's the same thing here, that when we sin, God says, don't do this. God says, hey, this is forbidden. You shouldn't do this. And now when we know this and we still go ahead and do it, we are trespassing. We're saying, God, I know this is what your word says. I know that your word says the wages of sin is death, but God, I'm going to do it anyways. We need to, again, know what God's word has to say about sin. Verse 1, if a person sins in hearing the utterance of an oath and is a witness... Whether he has seen or known the matter, if he does not tell it, he bears guilt. So if you saw someone else committing a crime and now you cover it up, guilty, right? I don't know if you've seen that reel on uh, Instagram or TikTok, right? Straight to jail, no matter what here, right? No matter what here, you're guilty. You're guilty, straight to the deal, doesn't matter what happens. So if you've seen someone commit a crime and you don't report it, you become an accessory to their crime. You are guilty. That's what it's talking about here. Verse 2, if a person touches any unclean thing, whether it's the carcass of an unclean beast or the carcass of an unclean livestock or the carcass of an unclean creeping thing, and he's even unaware of it. I don't know how you touch a dead body unaware of it. But even he, he shall be unclean and guilty. Still guilty of it. Verse 3, or if he touches human uncleanness. Whatever, uncleanness, right? Sometimes this happens to parents here, right? And you thought it was chocolate, but it wasn't right. And now you touch it, you're defiled, even if you're unaware of it. And when you realize it, then you shall be guilty. Verse 4, or if a person swears speaking thoughtlessly with his lips to do evil or to do good whatever it is that a man may pronounce by an oath and he is unaware of it when he realizes it then he shall be guilty in any of these matters so again whether you're rash to make a promise whether it's good or evil if you remember peter when it says that he swore to that young girl wasn't that he cussed out the little girl is that he made a promise, he made a vow. He said, it's better if I'd I'd spend the rest of my life in hell than ever have known that man. And that's right when Jesus looks in his eyes, right, and you hear that rooster crow. He's making that promise, he's making that vow. So if you've done any of these things, you are guilty. You've committed sin. And each and every one of us, we've sinned, we've fallen short of the glory of God. Verse 5 It shall be when he's guilty of any of these matters that he shall confess. He shall confess that he has sinned in that thing. Again, family, it all starts off with saying, God, I agree with what your word has to say. And that's one of the biggest takeaways from tonight. Do you agree with what God's word has to say? Because that's what true confession is. We read that in 1 John 1. That's what confession is. It's not just saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, it's saying, Would you please forgive me? I did X, Y, or Z, and that was wrong. Your word says that it's wrong, and God, I agree with you. So first they would have to confess their sin. Then in verse 6, He shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord for his sin, which he has committed. Now notice, now you can offer a female from the flock, a lamb, or a kid of the goats as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him, Concerning his sins. We looked at that in depth, right? That word atonement, a covering for your sins. So, in other words, to cover their sins, an animal, whether it was a lamb or a goat, would have to die. For us, we don't just get our sins covered, but we get our sins removed from us. We'll look at that in a moment. Verse seven maybe you can't afford a lamb, then you are going to bring to the Lord for his trespass, which he has committed two turtle doves or two young pigeons, one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering. And he shall bring them to the priest who shall offer what is for the sin offering first and wring off its head from its neck, but shall not divide it completely. Then he shall sprinkle some of the blood of the sin offering on the side of the altar and the rest of the blood shall be drained out at the base of the altar. It is a sin offering. And now he's going to offer the second as a burnt offering, according to the prescribed matter, so that the priest shall make atonement on his behalf for his sin, which he has committed, and it shall be forgiven to him. Again, imagine every time you sin, you got to bring an animal and you need to slaughter an animal. Every single time. Imagine that if you would, right? Some of us, we'd have a trail of blood. Some of us more than others, right? Every time you get in an argument with your spouse, bring those two turtle doves, right? Bring that lamb. Ring off the neck. Slit its throat. Again, that we would have that perspective of sin. It used to be that people used to say, man, church, Christianity, what a bloody religion. You guys are so crazy. How bloody is that? Is that the rep we have anymore? No, Christianity is almost a joke because most churches would say, Sin? Who needs to talk about sin, right? Jesus wants to help you be your best version of you, right? That's all Jesus is hearing about. We need to come to the reminder that our sins lead to death. The wages of sin is death. We don't see that each day, right? I think someone would call Peter on us if we were sacrificing birds back there, right? Or anything like that. If anybody gets any crazy ideas with all the cats on the back, right? If someone would call someone on us. But we need to be reminded our sins require they require a penalty. Notice here, God, he doesn't just care about saving or pardoning the rich or those people that can afford a bull or a lamb or a goat or even two turtle doves. He makes a way even for the poorest of the poor. In verse 11, but if he's not able to bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, then he who sin shall bring his offering one-tenth of an ephath of fine flour as a sin offering. He shall put no oil on it. Nor shall he put frankincense on it, for it is a sin offering. So if you couldn't even afford a bird, you could just bring a couple quarts, a flower, and say, Lord, please forgive me of my sins. Verse 12, then he shall bring it to the priest, and the priest shall take his handful of it as a memorial portion. And now he's going to burn it on the altar according to the offerings made by fire to the Lord. It is a sin offering. The priest shall make atonement for him. Again, his sins would be covered for his sin that he has committed in any of these matters, and it shall be forgiven him. The rest shall be the priests as the grain offering. We read about that uh, last time we were together. Now we see that there are certain sins that require restitution. I think this is a good reminder to us. First and foremost, that we'd get out of the habit of just saying, I'm sorry. We should be asking for forgiveness. Man, would you forgive me? Would you forgive me about this? Would you forgive me about that? I have sinned. I've wronged you. I agree with what you are saying. I agree with how that made you feel. I agree with those things. If we've sinned on purpose or by accident. But every once in a while, there needs to be restitution made. Right? Someone rear ends you while you're driving. And they just say, hey, please forgive me. All right, see you later. Is that okay? Anybody okay with that? No, you desire restitution. My car did not look like that before. I cannot drive my car out of here. I need to drive to work tomorrow. I need you to pay to fix the damage that you've made. And that's here what the Lord is speaking about. Sometimes we sin on accident or on purpose, and restitution needs to be made. It's not enough to just say, I'm sorry. It's not enough just to say, please forgive me. But restitution needs to be made. Verse 14, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If a person commits a trespass and sins unintentionally in regard to the holy things of the Lord, then he shall bring to the Lord as his trespass offering a ram without blemish from the flocks, with your valuation in shekels of silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, as his trespass offering. And he shall make restitution for the harm. That he has done in regard to the holy thing and shall add one fifth to it and give it to the priest. So the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the trespass offering and it shall be forgiven him. If a person sins and commits any of these things which are forbidden to be done by the commandments of the Lord, though he does not know it, yet he is guilty and shall bear his iniquity." And he shall bring to the priest a ram without blemish from the flock with your valuation as a trespass offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him regarding his ignorance in which he erred and did not know it. And it shall be forgiven him. It is a trespass offering. He has certainly trespassed against the Lord. And again, each and every one of us, we have trespassed against the Lord. We've done things That we know we shouldn't do. We've said things that the Holy Spirit warns us and says, don't do that. Don't say that. And we just go out and do it anyways. Again, a couple portions of scripture. And then we'll close. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22. Now we read this together last week. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. A couple other Bible versions. They say there is no forgiveness. Again, family, there can be no forgiveness for our sins without the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Without us confessing our sins and saying, God, what you say is right. Lord, the plan that you have laid, Lord, it is right. It's not my goodness that leads to forgiveness. It's not my righteousness that leads to forgiveness. It's not my hard work at church that leads to forgiveness or how much I tithe. That doesn't lead to forgiveness. It's only the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only way we can be forgiven of our sins. That's the only way restitution can be made between us and the Lord. Finally, let's turn to Psalm 103. And this is the great reminder to us, the great blessing to us that now we are a part of the new covenant, right? I think some of you ladies, some of the guys, if you're honest, maybe we're getting a little queasy there as we were separating the bull and the lamb and the goats, right? Right? And you're grateful, Lord, I'm grateful I don't live in the old covenant, right? I don't know if I could make it, feeling that bull dying and all the gagging out of the side of his neck and the screaming. God, I couldn't have made it through that, so Lord, thank you. Thank you for the new covenant, right? Amen, right? There's so much more than that. But it's not just that. The people in the Old Testament, their sins could only be covered. That's the only thing that could happen. Their sins could only be covered over and over and over and over and over again. But they were never made new. They were never completely cleansed. Their sins were never washed away or removed from them. In Psalm 103, Joey read this two Sundays ago, and it's such a blessing for us. Psalm 103 verse 12, it tells us, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he, what does he do? He removes our transgressions from us. Game family, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what that old version of you has done. He's removed it from you. As far as the east is from the west, you can't measure it. It can't be measured because as long as you keep going one way, you're going to keep going east no matter what. That's how far God has removed your sins from you. See, oftentimes God, he's already forgiven us. God's removed those transgressions, but now we beat ourselves up about it. Or Satan or one of the demons, right? They come and they start messing with us about it. Man, I can't believe I did this in my past. Man, I can't believe I did this in my past. Man, I can't believe I did this in my past. And you need to be reminded. He's removed those sins from you. You're a new creation. The old is gone. And now the new has come. I love looking more and more to the Gospels how Jesus treated sinners. He never pushed away a sinner. He welcomed all of them. He was quick to be so gracious and kind and merciful to the humble and broken sinner. To the proudful Pharisee, much different Jesus, right? Very hard, very short with them. But to those who are broken over their sin, right? what does he tell the woman caught in adultery? Your sins are forgiven. Who's here to condemn you? I'm not here condemning you. Go and sin no more. Your sins are forgiven. Again, so if you're still dealing with condemnation of that old you, man, remember that person's dead. You're a new creation in Christ. Finally, Isaiah 43, verse 25, prophecy of Jesus. It says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And remember this. What does he say? And I will not remember your sins. So he takes our sins away from us as far as the east is from the west. Then he blots out our transgressions. He washes them away. And then he chooses... It's not that he can forget. It's not that. I don't think they ever talk about it anymore. Ginko Loba, right? Anybody talk about that anymore? Right? Everybody forgot about it? He chooses to not remember our sins. Yeah, What a gracious, what a loving, what a merciful God. So again, that's the double-edged sword. We talked about that at young adults. That's the double-edged sword. If right now we are living in sin, if right now we're trying to hide our sin, you need to be reminded the wages of sin is death. Every time you sin on purpose or on accident, you are bringing death into your life. That's one sword of this. You need to come, you need to repent, you got to get right with God. The other end of the sword is that don't allow yourself to be condemned by the enemy anymore. Remember, that's not how Christ sees you. If you've really come to him, if you've confessed your sins to him, if you've made restitution, if you've confessed your sins to whoever you've harmed, whoever you've sinned against, if it's according to scripture, then your sins, they're, they're far from you. He chooses to forget them. He sees you as brand new, clean and perfect. So again, that we'd be able to hold the two sides of Leviticus 4 and 5. Lord, help me to be reminded. Every time I'm tempted to sin, help me to be reminded, Lord, this is your enemy. This is the enemy of my Savior. Do I really want to give in to the enemy of my Savior? The enemy of my Lord? The enemy of my best friend? Do I want to listen to the arch enemy? Do I want to bring more death, more bloodshed upon my life, the life of my family? Or Lord, do I want to walk in your truth? Do I want to continue this beautiful life of fellowship and peace and joy with you?